hi and welcome back to the next episode of podcast of a Lincoln geek with dan and i'm with gregor again we're going to be chatting to you about our kind of our first board games experiences and how that kind of impacted us on our board game purchases so gregor did you want to start us off on this one mate yeah i can do and this is something that i'd said on a live stream quite recently my first actual modern board game experience would be carcassonne which I feel like it would be daft for me to try and explain it because I imagine if you're listening to this, you know what it is. But it's a tile placement game. You place tiles, you place a worker on that tile. When you complete the thing that that worker is doing, you score points. It's very simple. I think that it is a great introductory game. However, it is not anything like the first game that I actually subsequently bought, um, which was a Days of Wonder game called Battle Law, which has since had a second edition and a reprint of all the things which I haven't paid any attention to whatsoever. Um, So (laughs) the the game that I'm about to talk about is the original edition, uh, and it could be completely different to the second edition. I have no idea. The board is a hexagonal battle map, You have little armies on it and you can play out both historical battles, so it can just be humans, but you can also expand it to include lore and goblins and monsters and all sorts of things. It's a pretty simple two-player game. You can, I think, expand it to four players by having the sort of two teams, so you've got one set Uh, that is sort of the main character, and then you can also have an ally on your team who controls allied units as well. But in terms of purchases, the reason that I think I've got to mention it, and I still own most of them, is Mm -hmm. I went absolutely crazy for buying all the extra stuff, for buying expansions for Battle Law. There are loads of expansions for all the different creatures and monsters, but you can also buy goblin armies and dwarf armies, and they all have separate sort of talents. So, for example, your dwarves hit a bit harder, but they move a bit slower. Your goblins are more likely to be afraid and run away. However, (laughs) they move a lot quicker. Classic goblins. It's a great little two-slash-four-player game. I I got hooked into it to the point where not only did it really inspire my first purchase, which I think was... I think the original one... The base game was bought for me, but I then bought, if I just look over to my shelf very quickly, Not that's not even all of them. I definitely own at least seven or eight of the expansions mm. for it. So you really got the shiny, ooh, shiny syndrome of, oh, I must have all the extra bits for this game because I love it. Kind of. It's one of those games where buying the extra thing means that you get extra elements of gameplay out of it. Mm. So each of those creatures, each of those monsters does an extra thing. There's only one sort of monster in the box, which from memory is a spider, like a giant creepy spider, not a, you know, it'd be rubbish, it was just a normal one. Just a house <laughs> yeah. spider. Yeah. Step on spider. Roll the, roll the d6. <laughs> but yeah, there's giants and elementals and trolls, and okay. as I said, you can buy different sorts of goblin and dwarf armies, and it massively expands the universe and expands the different things that you can do with it. Mm. Also, these kind of things improve your gameplay and improve that replayability which i'm guessing is probably what really kind of got you into the hobby in the first place do i understand correctly yeah definitely i think the idea of having something that can constantly every time be it can play slightly differently which is not something that you really get from your standard not modern board game yeah. we'll call it it's not one i've played so i definitely check that out it's good i played a version of battle Lore, which was kind of themed on the game of thrones they called it Battles of Westeros, and then it was like oh, subtitled "A Battle Law." So, so I, yeah, but I, so I, I got some of your references there. 
uh, it's all like hexonical, hexonical <laughs> based combat. And uh, you can kind of make your own maps, can't you? It's really good. And there's tons of add-ons for that as well. Yeah, so you can change the terrain of the map by adding hills and mountains and all that sort of thing. One of the expansions I have is an epic one that basically doubles the size of the map. Oh, wow. Um, which is just crazy. Because that sounds like definitely like a, sound like a good one to definitely worth checking out if you haven't played so that. It's a good one. way to start the hobby. <laughs> that one by the yeah. side of it. I got into the hobby thanks to uh, our local High Street Games Workshop. I, as a child, I was into fantasy. I had an interest in Warhammer 40k. So when I was at university, I subsequently worked in a in a branch. And just opposite us, there was this little gaming shop. And it was such an adorable little gaming shop. It was literally one of these, almost like a shopping cart of games and card games. And I was just like a kid in some kind of toy shop. It was amazing. They <laughs> they were like, right, okay, well, look, you know, we have a little get together up in the pub upstairs. Come along and, and play some games. And, and one of those first games, it wasn't an epic battle game. <laughs> it wasn't Warhammer. It wasn't 40K. No, it was... Flux. <laughs> My first experience of an actual, you know, card game, stroke board game. And this is it is a card game because that's what flux is. I, I know you can't see me, but I just shuddered there. <laughs> <laughs> it was my first proper experience of a game. And it's such a simple little game for anyone who's not familiar with flux. Flux is basically an ever rule changing card game. One of the frustrating things with it sometimes, I think some of the people that have played it before who maybe not like Flux is that ever changing element of the fact that someone can, you think you're close to winning it and then someone changes the goal of the game and you're like, don't, no! But when you do win it, you're like, I managed to win Flux because <laughs> it's yeah, not an easy an game to win. No. If you do win, it tends to be accidental. Yes, a fluke because someone changed the goal of the game, and you've got the and you've got the keeper for that goal. I don't know. I, I'm not going to talk too much on that because I could spend the entire podcast just bashing on flux. <laughs> well, we, I know, I know, Gregor, you reviewed it on the website. Yeah, I, I think that it would be boring if it was just a standard card game. I like the fact that it adds at least hundreds of different elements. Mm. I understand that it can also go on for too long. Like I feel like all it needs is just some sort of time limit that says, okay, when it gets yeah, to this point, I think and start I, removing elements. Yes. If I ever played it again, I would, I would house rule it. So it's basically after an hour... I think the goal stops changing. Yeah, like yeah, exactly. Um, but the best description I've heard of it is it's 15 minutes of fun stretched over two to three hours. <laughs> that's, what, that's what it feels like. Love it. I, I, I've only played it a few times and it helped when I was drunk, I must admit. It was funnier when I was drunk. Yes. Um, oh, and, and, I, um, and I was as well at the time, you know, and, and I subsequently <laughs> bought a copy because there is an element of degree of luck to it. In the end, we actually—I was just—I was intentionally trying to help other players win just to end the game. <laughs> That's a mistake. That's a rookie error because they also are constantly having to adapt to what they have in their hand. I know. So even yeah. their tactics will constantly be changing. So you're actually trying to play catch up with them. Probably much but, more, much more effective to just I mean, focus on what you have in well, my opinion. It's a, it's a long time since I played, so I could be wrong, but I remember the goal had changed and they were perhaps missing a creeper or something so if i if i had a card that would give another player a creeper i could play it on them and they that would trigger the end game i I just remember that kind of i mean i could be by the time by the time it gets around to you the goal will have changed or they'll have had to discard some cards and discard the card for that thing because they think something else is coming up it's very possible i may be misremembering and it probably was a rookie error but yeah 
That's but, but I also know where you're coming from because you know I've had I've had good experiences and I've had negative experiences with the game. But it's one of those games that you can just quickly pick up. And you know if you're if you go with the original, I you know I reckon you can probably can play it in under 15 minutes uh, with within a, a two or three people. If you capped it at perhaps two to three people, this could be a great game to play at like, lunchtime in yeah, the office. Exactly. Yeah, I've definitely played two-player games of Flux that lasted less than 10 minutes. Yeah, yeah that's yeah, perfect. Exactly, and sometimes that's what you want. You know, you've got, make you've it... got five minutes spare of fun left over. Yeah. Brilliant. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But Brilliant. it wasn't the first game I bought. Oh, no, while I bought a copy of it, I bought it later. The first actual game I, I, I actually bought was the Decipher Lord of the Rings card game. Yeah, it was just a great uh, collectible you know, trading card game that just had all the stuff of the of the movies that was out at the time. Kind of won me because of the IP. Lord of the Rings has a habit of making other brands or IPs good, I've noticed. Yeah. Lord of the Rings Monopoly is a very playable version of Monopoly, and I'd recommend it. Even if you, even if you hate Monopoly, try Lord of the Rings Monopoly. Mm. Yeah, I've heard that said mm. as well. But it actually has another mechanism for ending the game. Nice. Which is something Monopoly really needs as well. On one of the dice, the instead of there being a one, there's a one ring symbol, and it still counts as a one for when you're rolling. But if you roll the one ring, it moves to the next property on the board, and by the time it gets around to the equivalent of Mayfair, which is Mount Doom, by the time it gets around to Mayfair, that's it, the game ends. There. Oh, nice. Ooh, that's cool. So, A, it adds another level of tactics because you're constantly going, okay, actually, how likely is it that the one ring is going to be rolled? How long have we got left in this game? Mm. But also, the probability of it coming to a stop within at least an hour and a half is pretty high. Mm. That sounds pretty good, actually. It's a nice fem- thematic twist. I mean, a lot of Monopoly covers I'm very sceptical of. I mean, this could be a topic in its own. Mm. Some of the horrendous Monopoly. I mean, I've seen The Walking Dead Monopoly. Yeah. I mean, what about a zombie apocalypse? There's property rental. You guys? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Dan, uh, what was your experience and what okay, was your well, first purchase? Well, uh, my first experience was kind of eerily similar to yours, Chris. Uh, I kind of was first into Warhammer 40k to begin with. I think I just went to, if I remember rightly, it was just kind of a local games club where we finished a match of 40k that had gone on like an hour and a half or something. But so we had a bit of time left over and someone just plonked out. The game now I, I kind of have a love-hate relationship, which is uh, Munchkin. <laughs> <laughs> so I've never played it. What What is Munchkin? It's kind of a take that game, a bit of a race game. You have to, you get like a character and they're all really funny, kind of like uh, Dungeons and Dragons tropes. So you've got the warrior, you've got, you could be an elf, you could be a dwarf, and they've all got different abilities. You could be just a boring human that's kind of jack of all trades, that kind of thing. There's two decks. There's a monster deck and a treasure deck. You flip over the monster deck and you add up all the stuff you've currently got. And if your level or strength is higher than the monster that showed up, you defeat it and you get the reward. It's more or less a race game. So you mm. just kind of take it in turn, see if you can beat the random card you draw. If you do go up a level, first person to level 10 wins. The reason I've got love-hate with it, again, is it's similar to Flux. It's hilarious the first few times you play it. The cards are really funny. But the strategy is basically just save you all your take like cards until someone's about to win and then just hammer them with it. When they get knocked down, you wait for the next person who's about to win and then hammer them with the cards instead. It's another game I would probably play when I was drunk, but no other times. It's a very clearly a party game. It is a party game, yeah. yeah. But there's also so many different add-ons. And when I first got this game, I thought it was hilarious. So I bought it. So it's probably the first modern board game I bought. And um, I got loads of add-ons for it. And just every time I've played it, I just found it less and less funny. 
Mm. And, now, and now it's just kind of gathering dust. <laughs> the poor, poor thing. But I probably won't play it now. Unless I was drunk. <laughs> there you go. Not, um, not as drunk as Flux, though. Yeah. I think if, if we make a chart of level of drunkenness <laughs> for me to play certain games, Flux is right at the top. A few shots above <laughs> Munchkin. Let me guess. And does it have to be tequila to get you to play it? <laughs> probably. Yeah. Probably. <laughs> uh, the, there are some fun covers of Munchkin. I mean, I actually have Pirate Munchkin, which someone got me as a, as a gift once. And instead of like being an elf or a dwarf, you basically, you're pirates. But your race, so instead of elf, dwarf, whatever, is your nationality. So you could be an English pirate, a French, yeah. a French pirate, or a Spanish pirate. And in the rules, it says you have to have you have to do a mock accent of wherever you're from. Just to... <laughs> <laughs> so we just have all like really bad French accents going. Oh my dieu! So I have a soft spot for the D and D original because, of course, that's one of the first Munchkin versions I played as well. Yeah. yeah. But I have certain uh, groups of people that. Uh, destroyed the love of it for me since we're on the love hate uh you know subject <laughs> we could probably do a love hate relationship podcast at a later date <laughs> some of them have just changed to hate hate <laughs> <laughs> all right well look, that's been a brilliant chat thanks very much guys i've loved having that conversation with you it's, it's really kind of cheered me up knowing i'm not the only one that's uh, had those kind of experiences with these games but we have been Diary of a Lincoln Geek and thank you for joining us for our podcast of a Lincoln Geek and please like and subscribe and do give us feedback if you enjoyed the show take care and stay safe thanks everyone take care bye please subscribe now and get your geek on